Good morning, everyone. My name is David, and I serve here at Trinity as one of the pastors. And I'm so glad that you are taking the time to join us this morning online. I know that we're eager and excited to actually be back in this space together. Uh, At least that's how I feel. I I can't wait for the day when we can reopen and gather again. I know it'll be a little different when that happens. And I just want to encourage you that it's coming. And we're going to keep you updated and informed as to both the timeline of the reopening and what it's going to be like when we get back in here. But if you're like me, you can't wait to get in here. There's something about this time of uh, quarantine and this COVID-19 outbreak where I think we all kind of feel like we're eager to get into certain places. Uh, Maybe you're eager to get into your barber or to your hair salon and your hair is going a little crazy on you. Maybe uh, like me, you've put a little bit of weight on during this time and you're eager to get back into your gym or or maybe you're doing good with your weight and you're eager to get back into your favorite restaurant, whatever it is. And then there's some more serious things that people are really looking forward to, to getting in to their places of work, getting into doctor's appointments that have been delayed, or even elective surgeries that have been pushed off. Some people are eager to get in to see their family members, maybe a family member in a nursing home. We really are thinking a lot in the season about getting in. And as we're in our third week of our series in Esther, and today we're in chapter five, in this chapter, we learn about two people who are eager to get in. Esther and Haman. Esther is eager to get in. You know, Esther, uh, we know about her that she was an orphan and that she's a refugee. She's a foreigner. So in a sense, Esther has felt on the outside her entire life. And even now that she's queen, she still is on the outside, the outside of safety and security all of a sudden because her people are under threat. You know, two weeks ago when we were uh, in week two of our series, we learned that the Jewish people were in danger because the villain Haman had sort of tricked or talked the king into this edict that was going to be for the destruction, the annihilation, the death of the Jewish people there in Susa. And Mordecai, Esther's cousin and and really a father-like figure in her life, he hears about this and, and he begins to mourn and he gets message to Esther and he says, Esther, maybe you're the only hope. Maybe it's this reason that God puts you in this place. Maybe you were made for this moment. And Esther decides, I'm going to approach the king even though it could cost me my life. And famously she says, if I perish, I perish. And now as chapter five begins, she needs to get in. She needs to get into the king's presence and she needs to get into his favor. But Haman also is trying to get in. Now Haman, from what I think, is he's a lifelong insider. He, he is the true insider. He has the power. But despite the fact that he's an insider, he has this unshakable sense that he's on the outside of something. And he's trying so hard to get in. I think if we're honest, every single one of us has this sort of sense that we're on the outside of something and that we're trying to get in. We spend our lives in pursuit of certain things. I created this graphic that's going to pop up on the screen to help you think through what are some of the things that we tried to get in on. And I created this, this, long, list, this long list of words that begin with the letter A. Approval, acceptance, access, appreciation, admiration, achievement, accomplishment, attention, 
affection. Look at those words. Those are all things that we spend our whole lives chasing after and trying to get in on. And this might play out in our lives in so many different ways, from the teams that we join, to the job that we choose, to the career path that we're on, to the clubs that we're a part of. Maybe it's pursuing relationships or chasing success and victory. It could be through intellect and education, through having the perfect marriage or the perfect family, the perfect children. They don't exist, by the way. I've, I've tried. Uh, maybe it's through uh, being respected or being known, being famous, or just being noticed. And then sometimes it's even our good efforts, our efforts to be moral, to be religious, to make a good difference in the world around us. Everyone is trying to get in. And in Esther chapter 5, what we're going to learn together this morning is that there's two ways to get in, and they're very different from each other. And it's my belief that every single person is on one of these two paths. And so as you're listening this morning, lean in and ask yourself this simple question, which path am I on? Which way am I using to try to get in? And the first one is called the way of receiving. The way of receiving. Esther 5 begins, and it's been three days. Esther has called for a fast. And on the third day, she prepares herself. She puts on her royal robes, and she stands in the inner court where she's positioned across from the throne room so that the king can see her. And the king sees her and calls for her to come towards him. And I can't even imagine how tense this moment was. You know, one of the reasons I think our society loves dating reality shows like The Bachelor is because that when you get to the finale, there's two ladies left, two young women left, and one is going to be proposed to, and the other one's going to be broken up with. And so we know as the audience that this is going to be one of the best days of this person's life and one of the worst days of this person's life, and we just can't turn our eyes away. We have to watch. And as Esther began to walk towards the throne, I have to think that everyone that was in that area stopped what they were doing and watched because they knew for Esther, this was either going to be one of the best days of her life, the day when she approached the king without him asking for her and lived to tell about it, or this was going to be one of the worst days of her life, possibly the last day of her life. There's actually ancient drawings that have been found from this time in history that show a king like Xerxes sitting on his throne, and behind his throne is a soldier who's standing there with a big axe in his hand. And that soldier's job was to execute whoever the king wanted to have executed. I, th I think that's, an, that's a very interesting job to have. I mean, imagine, you know, trying to explain to somebody what you do. I just stand back there all day and I hold an axe and I just wait to execute people. Your job is basically holding an axe and, and playing the scariest version of peekaboo ever. And so this soldier is behind the king as Esther is approaching. She doesn't know what he's going to do, but she approaches. And the king, as she draws near, he extends to her his golden scepter which is a sign of favor and welcome and acceptance. And maybe even we would use the word grace. She touches the scepter and then he says to her, uh, Esther, what is it that you want? Verse 3 of chapter 5. What is your request? He says, it shall be given even half of my kingdom. Now that was a, really a figure of speech. He wasn't literally promising that, but he was basically saying, I'm in a generous mood and I'm in a giving mood. Verse 4, Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman, the villain, come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. Now there's three things that Esther does here. There's three things that are true about the way of receiving. And the first thing is this. If you're going to live on the way of receiving, you have to recognize the need. Recognize the need. 
Esther calls for fasting for three days. If you're not familiar with fasting, this is a time of no eating and no drinking, and you're devoted to prayer. This is how Esther is preparing herself. Now, notice how different this preparation is from the first time Esther prepared herself to see the king. In Esther chapter 2, verses 9, when Esther was part of this beauty pageant, she was prepared, according to this verse, by saying that she was provided with cosmetics and her portion of food because eating well helps you to be healthy and even to look healthy. Now she's gone without food or drink for three days, arguably not looking her best, not looking at her, certainly not at full strength. But she's preparing to see the king very differently this time than the first time. And in the Bible, fasting is a sign of deep humility, desperation, and total dependency upon God. Saying, God, I need you more than food, more than drink. And I set myself apart. I close my mouth and I set myself apart. I consecrate myself to you and to your purposes. What do we learn here? Here's what we learn. In order to receive from God, we first must recognize our need for God. The first step in having a relationship with God is recognizing that we're lost without him. But here's what happens often. We start that way, but then we forget. We move from God dependency to self-dependency, and Christians do this. And we, we don't realize that just like we need dependency to get in, just like we need to recognize our need to get in, we need to continually and increasingly recognize our need for God if we're not just going to get in, but if we're going to grow up every step of the way. Our youngest daughter, Madeline, who is six now, was uh, born about three months early, and she spent 79 days in the NICU here in Syracuse. I remember the first couple of days that she was alive. She, she weighed in at 950 ounces, two, uh, two pounds, just over two pounds. And I saw her lying there in the incubator, all hooked up to these different things, so tiny. And I just remember this overwhelming sense of thinking, man, God, she needs you so much. She needs you right now and praying for her. And many of you were praying for her, and she's doing great now. But the Spirit actually spoke something to my heart in that moment that I've never forgotten. And the Spirit just reminded me of this truth. He said, he, I didn't hear his voice, but this is the sense I had on my heart. He was reminding me, David, don't forget, you need me right now just as much as she needs me right now. How easily we forget of our need. How quickly we become dependent upon ourselves. So no one wants to think of themselves this way as being needy. The C.S. Lewis described the concept well. He said, I pray, or I, prayer is actually an act of dependency upon God and recognizing our need. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, whether I'm waking or sleeping. Friend, self-sufficiency, self-reliance will keep you from the way of receiving. If you won't recognize your need, you will not receive. In this season we're going through right now, the COVID-19 outbreak, it may be exposing some of your needs, and maybe that's scary to you, and maybe you're hoping to get through this as fast as possible. But, but number one, actually having your needs exposed is a good thing, because the worst thing is actually to not believe that you have a need. And the second thing is this, you've always had that need. You're maybe more aware of it now, I may be more aware of it now, but we're always in need of God's grace on our lives. So she recognized the need. Secondly, she exercised her faith. Now, this is a massively courageous move by Esther. Remember, earlier in the story, this same king banished his wife, banished a queen for not appearing when he asked her to. 
And now Esther the queen is appearing when he didn't ask her to. She very easily could have been banished or even executed. This was a king who was not good. In fact, he was wicked and he was evil. It had been 30 days, a month had passed since he had requested to be with her. So for all she knew, she was yesterday's news. He wasn't even interested in her anymore. So when Esther exercised her faith here, was she putting her faith and placing her trust in the goodness of King Xerxes? Absolutely not. He was not a good man. She knew this could be death for her if he just was in a bad mood. Her faith was not in man, but her faith was in God. Her faith was not in king, lowercase k. Her faith was in the king, uppercase k. And who we place our faith in is what matters most about us in life. I know we're all sad about different things that are going to be different this summer, and, and I think the New York State Fair is almost certainly not going to take place, and I'm kind of sad about that. I, I love going there. My girls love going there. We get the food. Uh, we watch the people. We go look at the animals, but we don't go on rides. And the reason we don't go on rides at the fair is because I've seen those same rides get folded up like a transformer and put on the back of a truck and driving down 690. And I just have this thought, like, if it can do this, if it can just be folded up and put on the back of a truck and go bubbling down the road, I don't want to put my life in the hands of that ride. So we don't really go on the rides at the fair, but I know a lot of people do. I don't have faith in those rides, but some people do. Now listen, if you're the type of person who has a lot of faith in those rides and you buy the ride pass or you can go on rides all day, and you get on a ride that's broken, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. If that ride's broken, it's going to fail you. And if I have just a little bit of faith, but I get on a good ride, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be saved. What do I mean? Simply this. We are saved not by the amount of our faith, but by the object of our faith. It's not how much faith we can muster up. It's who is our faith in. And if that's true, then it also means this, that the smallest amount of faith in Jesus is worth infinitely more than the greatest amount of faith in something or someone else. Weak faith in Jesus has more power to save you than strong faith in yourself. And if you're listening and you say, I don't feel like I have very much faith, or I feel like my faith is wandering or weak or up and down, I would just say, look to Jesus. What saves you is not how much faith you have, but who your faith is in. So number one, she recognized the need. Number two, she exercised her faith. But the third thing she did here on the way of receiving was she received the gift. See, the king extended the scepter, but Esther had to go and receive that gift. You know, last Sunday was Mother's Day, and hopefully, despite our inability to get out and do certain things, moms were able to get some gifts. My wife, Erin, she loves coffee. Austin's coffee from Recess Coffee is her favorite blend. And so my daughter, Caroline, and I, we went out, we put our masks on, and we ordered ahead, and they brought it out to us, and we brought her back some Austin coffee. And she was excited to get it. But if all she did was get the coffee and not do anything with it, it wouldn't have any value or purpose. She had to open up the coffee. She had to take out the beans. She had to grind them. She had to put it into her French press. She had to boil the water. She had to pour the boiling water into the French press. She had to press it down. She had to pour it into the cup. She had to put in whatever she wanted from sugar to cream, and then she had to drink it. There was a work for her to do to receive the gift. You know, the king extended the scepter to Esther, but she had to reach out and receive the gift, and and we do too. Now, I, I do want to say this. The faith that we place in Jesus and even our ability to receive the gift is a gift from God himself. So this is not a work that we do to earn salvation, but it's a response to God's initiating saving work in us. 
You know, there's two reasons I think sometimes we resist the gift. Number one, if it's truly a gift, then it makes us completely grateful to someone else and not to ourselves. But number two, if it's truly a gift, now we are responsible to live differently in the light of that gift. Now, how have you responded to the gift of salvation? Maybe you're listening and you've never responded. You're going to have the opportunity soon, if you would like. Maybe you have responded, but you're not fully grateful to God or you're not living with any sense of what he's done for you. Consider what he's done for you and receive the gift. Now, how do we find favor in God's eyes? And there's actually some, some, some similarities between how Esther found favor in the king's eyes. It's actually the same three things. We recognize our need. I'm, I'm a great sinner. I need a great savior. I'm sinful in my nature. And the Holy Spirit helps us realize that about ourselves. Number two, we exercise our faith, and that faith is a gift from God. We place our faith in Jesus alone, that no one else can save us. Number three, we receive the gift, salvation, the forgiveness of sins. We receive salvation. We don't achieve salvation. This is the way of receiving. And I just want to say, before we f- I finish this message, if you're listening and you go, you know what, I want to do that. I, I want to recognize my need for Jesus, exercise my faith and place my trust in him, and receive the free gift of salvation. You can do that right now. You don't have to wait to the end. You simply pray, God, I recognize that I'm lost without you. I recognize that I'm a sinner, but that you sent Jesus a great Savior. I place my faith and trust in what he did and who he is, and I receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Unite me with Christ by your Holy Spirit. You can pray that prayer and know that you've been made right with God. So there's the way of receiving, but there is a second way. There's the way of achieving. Now, after Esther makes this request known to the king, the king says, absolutely. Like, I was ready to give you half the kingdom, and you just want to make me dinner. I'm in. And so he says, go get Haman. And Haman and the king, they go, and they go to Esther's first feast. And at the feast, the king says, now, Esther, tell me what you want. Even to half the kingdom, I'll give it, even if it's half of the kingdom, I will give it to you. And Esther says, my request is simple. Would you and Haman come back tomorrow again for another feast? And then I will let you know what my actual request is. And the king agrees to it. And then uh, Haman uh, goes out from the feast, and he's as happy as can be. And in Haman, what we see is not the way of receiving, but the second way, the way of achieving. In verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So Haman is whistling a happy tune. He just had a great meal. He spent time with the queen and the king. I mean, who gets to do that? And he's super happy. And he's headed home and he sees this Jewish man, Mordecai, who will not bow before him. And he loses all of his joy. And he calls all of his friends together and all of his family together. And he begins to recount to them everything that's great about him. Here's all the things I have. Here's, what, here's how popular I am. Here's how famous and powerful I am. And then in verse 12, Haman says, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she prepared. He's like, look at how important I am. And tomorrow I've been invited to go back to another feast. Look at verse 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And his wife and his friends gave him some advice and said, well, why don't you create uh, a tool of execution for Mordecai, um, the gallows. Now, the ESV says gallows, but really this, was, uh, this would have been a sharpened, uh, pointed, large stick. They would have executed somebody and then impaled them on that stick and, and, and let everybody see them as a message to people. Uh, so, you know, maybe hanging, 
probably impaling either way. Neither, neither one's very good for you. And, uh, but this is what the plan is now. And then it says, the idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. He's happy again. Now, Haman is happy at the beginning of this story. He's happy at the end of this story, but in the middle of this story, he loses all his happiness. Because happiness and joy are not the same thing, are they? Joy is different. Joy is steady. Happiness is up and down. Joy is based on something uh, lasting. Happiness is based on the temporary. Joy is based on something that the world can't take from us, and happiness is based on circumstances. Joy brings rest, and happiness is a never-ending pursuit. You see that Haman has everything in the world except this one guy won't bow to him, and now he needs to kill him in order for him to be happy again. Haman, in one moment, loses his happiness. Why? Because he's not on the way of receiving. He's on the way of achieving. His way in was achievement, approval, admiration, attention. He was depending on his status. We'll see later in this story that he wasn't happy being second in command. He actually wanted to be king. He was depending on stuff. When he lost his joy, what did he do to try to warm his own heart and and make him happy again? He talked about all the stuff that he has, but it couldn't make him happy because stuff can't satisfy you or save you. He was depending on self-talk. He was talking himself up. I got all these things, but self-talk can't lift you out when you really have lost your way. And then he was depending depending on the counsel of people who don't have his best interest in mind, uh, who just are saying what they think he wants to hear. And they give him bad advice. See, the way of achieving always leaves us on the outside still and more desperate than ever to get in. And here's the thing about the way of achieving versus the way of receiving. On the way of achieving, the heart never rests. It never rests. As long as, there's one more, as long as there is one more person's approval to win, your heart can't rest. As long as there is one more achievement, one more badge to pin to your chest, you cannot rest. As long as there's another inner circle for you to get into and to access, you will not rest. One more source of admiration to secure. You won't rest until you have it. You will not rest. If, and, and if someone comes along who gives you more attention or more affection than someone else in your life, you'll run from this person to this person. The way of achievement is enslaving and exhausting. And so many of us live there. Um, there's irreligious ways of doing this, pursuing wealth and, and pleasure um, and independence. There's religious ways of doing this, pursuing moral superiority religious activity, even sometimes spiritual experiences and and basing our joy on those things instead of what Christ has done for us. Every single person is on one of two ways, the way of receiving or the way of achieving. Which way are you on? Let me finish with this. What actually gets us in? We're so desperate to get in, but what actually gets us in? Do you remember earlier in this chapter, it says that Esther put on her royal robes. She needed these royal robes if she was going to walk into the throne room. These royal robes, although they didn't guarantee her safety, they were an important thing for her to be wearing because just a commoner dressed normally would never have a chance. But Esther put her royal robes on her. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61.10 says this. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. Now look at what it says. Why? Because he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
It's God who covers us in the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. And righteousness simply means right standing in the eyes of God. In other words, it's the approval, it's the acceptance, it's the access, it's the appreciation, it's the admiration, it's the achievement, it's the accomplishment, it's the attention, it's the affection, it's all those things that we talked about earlier. We find those things in Christ when we're covered in his righteousness. We have right standing before the king of the universe and we have access to enter in. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, the Apostle Paul said it this way, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a famous old hymn that ends this way. When he shall come with trumpet sound, speaking of the end of time, when he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him, in Christ, be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. The only chance you and I have to stand faultless before the throne of the King of Heaven, of Almighty God, is that we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. We're dressed in Christ and his righteousness alone. This morning, I want to encourage you, we receive salvation. We don't achieve it. We receive righteousness. We don't achieve righteousness. And if you're listening going, ah, it's too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. Well, that means you're actually beginning to understand the gospel because it's good news. It's the greatest news ever. There's two ways in. Which way are you on? This morning, we're going to respond by singing a song. Pastor Anthony is going to lead us through this song, King of Kings. Let the message of this song sink into your heart. And ask the Holy Spirit, which way am I on today? And what, will it, what would it look like for me to move from achieving to receiving? Let's sing together.